1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're in the kind of in the middle, or this is the second installment of a series that uh, we kind of started last week. Uh, last week we talked about the return of the King, the return of Jesus, why that's important, what that's going to be like. Today we're going to talk about Judgment Day. Not the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is a different kind. This is the real deal. Judgment Day. We're going to be talking about that and look at a lot of passages of Scripture, but want to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we'll start in verse 8. Uh, and then next week we'll talk about hell. What is hell? What's all about hell? And who goes there? Who doesn't get to go there? Those kinds of things. The week after we'll talk about heaven. Same thing. What is heaven? Where is it? Who goes to heaven? What is it like? Who doesn't get to go to heaven? And so on. But uh, Judgment Day, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Once you're there, if you'd stand with us. And we're going to start in verse 8. We're going to start in verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, uh, writing to a church that he started, who was a follower of Jesus. And this is what he says. There were divisions in the church about some people were following this pastor, some people were following that pastor, and they're fighting over who's more famous and who's a better pastor to follow. And Paul is saying this in verse 8. He says, He who plants and he who waters are one. And look at this. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, which is judgment day, that's what we're talking about today, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built up on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So now he said it twice. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as one spared through the fire. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word today that changes our life, that shapes us and molds us. We pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive this message with joy, Lord, that they wouldn't be my words, but your words, that you would anoint these lips with clay and flesh. Father, we thank you that this message would help produce fruit in our life that is pleasing to you. We give this day to you and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Um, Paul, a guy who we talked a little bit about last week, we'll talk about today, a man who, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Paul, he was a guy who originally didn't like Christians. He didn't like them so much so that all he wanted to do was put them in prison, beat them up, or kill them. And so that's the kind of guy that Paul was and on his road to arrest more Christians and put them in jail he sees Jesus in the middle of the road and it wasn't just like a vision he literally saw Jesus and his life was changed and uh, hopefully anytime that you see Jesus in the flesh your life would be changed too but Paul's life was changed and he goes from uh, being anti-Christian or not liking Christians putting them in jail to being a follower of Jesus himself and to starting churches so from trying to shut churches down to start churches. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And he addresses a church that he started in a town of Corinth. And this church, or churches, these house churches, um, one of the problems was, this church had a lot of issues, but one of their problems was people were griping about, like we said, well, I follow this guy, well, I follow this 
guy and hey, nothing has changed. People still do that today. Well, I watch brother so-and-so on TV. Well, I listen to so-and-so's podcast. Well, I read so-and-so's book and boy, they're the great thing. And, and if we're not careful, we kind of miss really what Paul's talking about here. And this is a side note to the message. Paul is saying, listen, it, it really doesn't matter that you follow this guy, this guy, as long as they're preaching Christ, as long as they're preaching the truth of, of solid scripture, then it's all the same message. And the, the foundation is the same, no matter who lays that foundation, the foundation is Christ, and we all build on it. So that's an amazing thing. And just like in this church, you've had other pastors and, and the foundation is Christ, no matter who the pastor is. And some pastor comes along and helps build that. And then someone else builds that and so on. So that's the point that he's trying to kind of resolve here with the issues. But he, he mentions something a couple times here and in verse eight and then a little later on that each one will receive a reward according to their labor. So we want to look today about judgment day and first thing is the reality of Judgment Day. The reality of Judgment Day. Now, towards the end of the message, we'll talk about uh, Judgment Day for non-Christians or non-believers. But I want to focus the bulk of our time today on Judgment Day for Christians. The Bible clearly says, as we will see, that every human being, Christian and non-Christian, will stand before God one-on-one -on -one in a day, in a moment of judgment. And so we want to look at that here in a few moments, and then towards the end, we'll look at how, what, what does that look like for a Christian? What does that look like for a non-Christian? But we want to focus on what does that look like for a Christian? Paul writes another letter to the same church in Corinth, or churches, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. I'll read it for you. He says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, meaning we're dead, our goal is to please Christ. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So again, here's that theme. Everybody, again, he's talking to Christians. So every Christian, you know, Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist or Assemblies of God, non-denominational, doesn't matter. Every Christian will stand before God in judgment and receive either a great reward or receive nothing at all. That's the image that we see from these two passages that Paul is telling us. Jesus says himself about judgment. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man, who is Jesus, will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds or actions. Later, Paul, again, the guy we're talking about, writes another letter to a church our church is in Rome. In Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, he says, So why do you condemn another Christian? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For the scripture says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess allegiance to God. Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. So we have this image now, this, this clear-cut picture from Jesus' own mouth, and it's confirmed by this guy named Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, or God himself. So in other words, God is directly telling us today something quite clear that is not up for the debate. It's not a matter of what church you go to or how you were raised. It's a fundamental fact. Every human being, especially Christians, that's who we're focusing on, will stand before God in judgment 
So, it doesn't matter if you can pray 10 times a day, if you can pray for 10 hours a day, if you memorize 10 chapters a day of the Bible. It doesn't matter if you pray in tongues or you prophesy. It doesn't matter if you give all the money to the church. None of that matters. What matters is at this point, every person, there's no way out of it, you have a destiny to stand before God in judgment for your deeds or your actions. Some might say, well, I don't know, that the grace of Jesus, uh, you know, covers all that, so we really won't do that. That's not what the Bible says, is it? No, it's quite clear. Every person, uh, again, talking about Christians here, will stand before Christ. Now, this isn't a judgment of whether as a Christian you will go to heaven or hell. No, no, no. Jesus already took care of that. So as a Christian, you will be judged, and God won't say, well, because you're a good Christian, you go to heaven, or a bad Christian, you go to hell. No, you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, end of story. This is now that you are a Christian, now what? What did you do with the new life that you have in Jesus? What did you do when I forgave you of your sins? What did you do with the things that I blessed you with? How did you reinvest my blessing that I gave to you? Um, understand this, that you alone, what we see here, and I think this is important to point out in all these passages in 2 Corinthians 5 and in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 3, that you alone will have to give an account to God for how you lived your life and you can't blame others or make excuses. Like one of the biggest things about our culture today that is so unfortunate is that the lack of personal responsibility is missing from culture. In America, we, we love to blame everybody else. I mean, it's never my fault, right? It's my parents' fault. It's the hand I was dealt in life. Well, this isn't fair. And, you know, if I just had a fair shot, if uh, I just had a fair this or that, then, you know, things would... No, no, no. Every person, and it's not going to be you and your family. It's not going to be you and your mom and dad. It's not going to be you and your spouse. It's not going to be you and your pastor. You alone with God. Every person will have to give an account. You can't buy your way out or pray your way out. You by yourself will have to give an account before God for your actions. You can't make excuses. You can try, but they won't fly. Won't be anyone else but you. In fact, Jesus, I think, alludes to this a little bit in the Gospel of John, the last of the four Gospels. John chapter 21, Peter, the closest disciple of Jesus, and then John, who is the guy that writes this letter, uh, is the second closest disciple. And they're there on the beach after church, or after uh, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and they're on the beach. Jesus is cooking lunch, breakfast for them. And as they're there, Peter looks at John, and, G and he asks Jesus, what about him? And I love Jesus' response. I'm just paraphrasing. Jesus says, what about him? You, Peter, don't worry about John, what John does or doesn't do. Peter, worry about Peter. Peter, worry about what I have asked you to do, what I've called you to do. I love my favorite parable in the entire Bible that Jesus gives is in Matthew chapter 25. It truly is my favorite passage of Scripture. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives an example or a story or a parable, as the Bible calls it, of the talents. And, and we don't mean like, you know, this guy can sing and this guy can write books. No, we mean the parable is an owner invested his money, his personal money, in three different people, three different men. He invests different sums of money to these three men. The owner leaves town for a while, and while he's away, the three men decide how to invest their money. And it's not their money, it's the owner's money. One guy invests it all, the other guy invests it all, and one guy is afraid and goes out and buries it. He hides it. He uh, receives zero interest. 
when the owner of the field comes back, he, he uh, meets the first two guys and he says, the reward or the interest that you have is twice as much. I give it to you, be blessed, and so on. He comes to the third man who buried it in the field and he all but curses him and says, you could have at least drawn interest on that and, and what you have, I'm taking away from you and, and cu cuts him out. But what's interesting about that parable is that none of these men can sit here and say uh, the, the owner didn't judge all of them together. He judged them individually. He doesn't say, well, the guy who invested the money versus the guy who didn't, why weren't you like this guy? No. Understand, when you stand before God, you cannot say, well, God, if you would have given me the talent of that person. Well, God, I wasn't a successful Christian because of this person or because of this situation in life. Don't make excuses because they won't work with God. It's you alone, you by yourself. You, God, understand this, when you stand before judgment with God as a Christian, God will not, because he does not, compare you to other Christians. Don't sit there and, and, and right now in your life, well, if I could sing like so-and-so, if I could give money to the church, if I could pray like so-and-so, God's not doing that, so why are you? God will never judge you compared to someone else because that's not the standard. They didn't write the standard, he did. God will judge you based on one standard and one standard only, and that is the truth of Scripture. We'll look at that here in a few moments. You'll be judged not based on other people nor compared to other people. God won't say, well, why weren't you more like Billy Graham? Why weren't you more like Moses? God's not going to do that. No, Matthew 25, that parable, the, the owner doesn't do that. He says, what did you do with what I gave you? Not, well, they did this. What did you do with what I gave you? You are accountable to Christ alone, not other people. Now, we've got to be careful because there is uh, Christian correction that comes into play there. But understand, when we're talking about judgment here, at the end of all days, when you stand before God, you will be accountable to God, not your spouse, not your kids, not your boss, not your wife, no one else. You alone will be accountable to God for what you did with what God gave you. In other words, understand, your actions today have eternal consequences, good or bad. As a Christian today, your actions on this very day, I don't mean this season in your life, although that's certainly applicable. What I mean is your actions today, this 24-hour period, have consequences in eternity, good or bad. So the question on the floor then is, what are you doing right now today that will have positive consequences for eternity? What have you done so far? It's 1130. Have you done anything so far? that has positive eternal consequences? What do you have planned for the rest of the day? What those actions will do, is that positive consequences for eternity? Or are there any at all? The reality of judgment. The second thing, the reason or standard for judgment day. I love what he says um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, chapter 5, verse 9. He says, our goal is one thing, to honor Christ. He says that. It's amazing. Notice Paul does not say, our goal is to build a great big ministry. Our goal is to have a mega church. Our goal is to have really rockin' worship. Our goal is that I'll be on TV as a preacher. Our goal is that we can give money. No, no, no. Our goal, Paul says, is one thing. Not how many churches we can start, although that's good. Not how much of the Bible we can memorize or how long we can pray. All those are good things, but that's not his goal. My goal is one thing, 
to honor Christ in all things that I do to honor him, to reflect him. Understand this, that the reason for judgment day, if you live your life by that principle right there, by 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, to live your life for one goal, to honor him in everything and all that you do, you do not need to worry about judgment day. In fact, I would encourage you, you need to look forward to judgment day. I'm not worried about it myself, not because I'm a pastor. I am looking forward to this judgment day. I really am, and you might think that's arrogant, but here's why. Because I try to live my life by this truth, by this principle that Paul says, that in everything that I do, good, bad, or ugly, no matter what, I want to honor Christ. I want to reflect Him. I want to please Him. I want to serve Him. Whether I'm working in a steel mill, whether I'm watching a ball game, whatever it is, my actions, my thoughts, privately, publicly, things that I do say, things that I put on social media, it doesn't matter. All that I am, I want my life to consist of one thing, to honor Christ. Not how much money I can make, not how powerful or wealthy I can be or famous I can be. No, to honor Christ. And if I live my life that way, then I understand I don't need to worry about Judgment Day because on Judgment Day, I'll say, God, everything that you gave me, I reinvested back into honoring you and into serving you. I don't have to worry about losing anything on Judgment Day. I don't have to worry about what he's going to say or not say. No, I'll say, hey, everything that you gave me, I gave back to you. In other words, I reinvested it and I live my life for one reason, and that is to honor you. And, and let me just say uh, this as well, because I know uh, here kind of in, in, in Catholic country uh, that some people might say, well, that's kind of a works-based salvation. What they mean by that is what you're saying is that in order to get into heaven or get God to love us more or have more blessing or favor, we have to do stuff for God. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying right here. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the opposite. What he is saying, though, is that salvation is through Christ, and that's a done deal. So I do things for God, not to prove that I love Him, but in other words, to demonstrate how much I love Him. So I serve God, I honor Christ, I want to please Him. Not to prove to the world that I am a Christian. No, I don't need to prove that to anyone. That's between me and Him. I do it not for that reason. I do it to, as a demonstration of how much I do love Him. Similarly, I don't give flowers or cards or whatever to my wife to prove that I love her. Hopefully after 10 years of marriage, she knows that I love her more and more. I don't do it to prove, well, i got to do this just to show you and to show myself and everybody else that I really do love you, that when I said I do, I put the ring on the finger that I meant it. No, that's crazy. I do it as a demonstration of that. I love you so much that i got to show you in a physical, tangible way. So it is with your relationship with Christ. You don't do things for God because you hope God loves you more because God can't love you more. You don't do things for God because you want more blessing or favor. No, you do things as a demonstration of how great He is, how awesome He is, that it overflows in your life and it flows out into your hands and to do physical demonstration of your love for Him and how He's changed your life. Unfortunately, some Christians are living life for themselves. Yeah, they're going to heaven. Yeah, their sins are forgiven. Yeah, they go to church, they can pray, and so they're going to heaven, sins are forgiven. But instead of living life to please Him, they're going to heaven and they're Christians, but they're really living life to please themselves. They're really living life to please other people. 
they're really living life instead of I'm going to stand alone before God and so I want to honor him and all that I do it's I want to impress other people with what I have I want to show people the money that I have I want to uh, be as famous and as powerful as I can I want to show people how much of the Bible I have memorized and I want to impress other people so then their motive is all wrong in fact, they're kind of what the people who Jesus talked about, the religious people in his day, and they were called Pharisees, and they did that very thing. Their relationship with God wasn't really based on a demonstration of how much they loved God, but it was more of to prove to everybody else how spiritual and religious they were. And I fear that there's many Christians, maybe not in this room, but there's many Christians who live by that. Yeah, they're going to heaven. Yeah, their sins are forgiven, but they're not living for him. And so then you wonder why they have problems in their marriage. You wonder why they have problems with their kids. You wonder why they have problems at their job. You wonder why that they never feel like they can really connect with God. I would dare say it's because of this principle. What you're doing is saying, well, now that I'm saved, now that my sins are forgiven, and I'm living for God, and, and I love Him, and I'm a Christian, all these things, now I'm going to try to still do things, some things anyway, my way. And God, while I'm doing it my way, would you still bless me? God's saying, are you kidding? Hands off. No, no, no. The way that I bless you is when you live what Paul said, live for Christ alone. And so many people, so many Christians, want God's blessing on their life, but they're not living for Christ alone. They're living for mostly Christ and some of me. And we're talking about Christians. Yeah, they're going to heaven. But they live mostly for Christ and some for my bank account. Mostly for Christ and some to impress other people how Christian I am or how religious I am. Mostly for Christ and show other people uh, the hobnobbers I can spend time with and rub elbows with. Mostly for Christ and to show people what a great person I am. And you've got it all wrong. And you want God to bless that. And you wonder why it's, He's not. My question, the critical question for us today, are you living for Christ in your marriage, in your family, at your job, with your money, with your talents, and with your resources? Could you say that today? in a moment of reflection, that I am living to honor Christ in my marriage or in my relationship. That that really is the number one goal, is not to necessarily make my spouse happy, because understand that when you honor Christ, that will bring honor and glory to your spouse. Are you honoring Christ with the children that God gave you, raising them to love Him and to serve Him? Are you honoring Christ with the money that He has given you, investing it wisely, being a good steward of that money and giving it liberally and freely, not being stingy. Money is not a bad thing in the Bible. It's kind of got that connotation. Money's a good thing. What's bad is when we become stingy with it. It's all about me and serving my needs. No, no, no. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing. In other words, God has invested in you with your education, with your background, with your spouse, with your kids, with your job, with your talent, and all these things. God has blessed you. In other words, He has deposited these things into your life, invested in you, and now it's up to you what you do with it. God will not force you to serve Him or give it all back. It's up to you. So the question on the floor for you is, what are you doing with those things? Are you giving them back to Him, reinvesting it back into His things, into His purposes, into His plans? In other words, living for Him in your marriage, in your family, in your job, your money, your talents? How are you handling the gifts and opportunities, resources that God has given you in this life? 
This is the rule or the standard by which you will be judged. So we, we understand the first principle. Every person will stand before Christ in judgment. Now the second question needs to be, what will we be judged on? And this is it. When you stand before God, as a Christian, God will not ask you, are your sins forgiven? No, we, we know that that's already taken place. When you stand before God as a Christian, He will ask you these questions. You can take it to the bank. God will ask you, look, I gave you X amount of money in your life. What'd you do with it? Look, I gave you so much talent in this area or this area. What'd you do with it? I blessed you with this job. What'd you do with it? I blessed you with an amazing spouse. What'd you do with them? I blessed you with a great family. What'd you do with it? I gave you this beautiful home. Did you use it to have small groups and, and have people over to talk about Christ? What'd you do with it? That's the question that you will be asked by God on Judgment Day. God will look at you and say, I put people purposely in your life and around your life who don't know me, who are not Christians. They're not saved as Christians would say. What'd you do with those people? Were they an annoyance to you when you went to work? Did they rub you the wrong way? And boy, I wish they'd get fired. Was that your attitude? Or God, thank you for these unsaved people. Would you send me some more? I'm doing all that I can to invest in them for the kingdom of Christ. God, thank you for giving me the money that you have. Listen, it doesn't matter if God gives you $5 or $5 million. That's not the point. Again, remember Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. The, the amount is irrelevant. What you do with it is what matters. If God gives you $5, don't sit there and say, well, God, if you give me more money, then I could really invest it. No, that's not what he's going to ask. Well, God, you gave me so much, I just, you know, I didn't know what to do. No. God, you gave me $5. I invested my money back into your kingdom. God, you gave me $5 million, and I invested all of it back into your kingdom. God, you gave me a great education, a great background, and a great talents and skills. And, and we're not talking about people serving in a church or in ministry. Goodness, no. Think about this. If everybody used their talents to work and serve in ministry, then no one would use their talents to work and reach the lost for Christ. And then we'd all just be uh, us four no more, set and waiting to die to go to heaven. That's not God's plan. No, God has given you talents and skills and abilities to reach others for him, to make a difference in the culture and society. So do we sit there and complain about culture? Do we complain about society? Do we complain about the poor hand we've been dealt? Oh, if I had different parents growing up, things would be different. Oh, this and oh, that. Or do you say, you know what? Yeah, maybe some, I've had some rough spots in life, but God, I really believe that you've given me these things for a purpose, and now I want to reinvest them. That's the question on Judgment Day. How did you handle the gifts, the opportunities? Did you obey me when I asked you? The resources that I gave you while you were on earth, what did you do with it? How did you handle it? It won't be excuse time. Well, God, if you would have done this differently. Well, you know, God, if you give me different parents. No. I gave you what I gave you. What did you do with it? Did you reinvest it or did you use it for yourself? Yeah, you're going to heaven, but did you reinvest it? Here's the reality. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. When you reinvest it, it comes back to you big time. When you use it for yourself, you've got nothing to show for it. Some Christians, again, are just living for themselves. Yeah, they're going to heaven, but they wonder why God doesn't bless their life. They're using their own talents, their money, their resources God gave them for their own gain and not reinvesting it in his kingdom. We get this principle from uh, one of the brothers of Jesus. His name was James. And 
James writes a letter. He was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. They called him Camel Knees because he would spend so much time on his knees in prayer. An amazing, amazing guy. His letter's pretty harsh, but a uh, really neat guy. And one of the things that James says in his letter to uh, his, the people in his church is that we understand that every good gift comes from one source, God above. Not my education, not my talent, not my money, not my job, not my boss, not my investments from God above. Not the government, God above. With that principle, and when we understand that, and we wrap our head around that, which is pretty easy to understand, when we understand that, nothing then in this life belongs to you. Then get this concept. If everything as a Christian in your life comes from God above, and the Bible says that, we just talked about it in James, therefore nothing, so everything comes from God, therefore nothing really belongs to you. It's really not your spouse. It's really not your kids. It's really not your home or your car. It's really not your job or your career. And it's really not your money in the bank. It's all his anyway. You know, hey, us men, we say that all the time, especially when we're trying to woo our woman, you know, and we're dating and, oh, baby, you would complete me. Oh, I'm nothing without you. Oh, you're a godsend. Oh, you're, you're an angel from above. I mean, you know, I love to listen to country music and like every country love song talks about angels falling and that's how we got women, you know. And, and, and in my case, that's definitely true in my wife and she's not here. But anyway, uh, we talk about that all the time. And that's true that, hey, you didn't just come out of nowhere. You were sent by God to be a blessing in my life and for me to be a blessing in your life. That we could do life together. We could become one flesh. The Bible says that children are a blessing from where? God. Therefore, children aren't tax write-offs or slave laborers at your house. No. Children are God's blessing. Therefore, again, who's the owner? God. Who's the owner of your spouse? God. All the money that you have, where does it come from? God. Your house? God. He owns it all. You know what that makes you and me? Renters. There's a lot of Christians who think they're owners. In reality, they're renters. And they're living life as if they own their spouse. They're living life as if they own their kids. And they're trying to control everything in their life. They're trying to be the puppet master. In other words, what they're trying to do is sit in the judgment seat and control everything else. And whenever you kick God off of the judgment seat and you sit there yourself, you know what God does often? Okay, go for it. Tell me how that works out for you. God doesn't kick you back off. Hey, God, unfortunately, lets us create and, and sometimes solve the messes that we make. No, when you understand that nothing I have belongs to me, it is all on loan from God. Therefore, when I stand in judgment for God, he's not going to say, you know, um, how, how great of a Christian were you? No, what did you do with the stuff that I gave you? I loaned it to you. For the 65 years you were on earth or for the 80 years you were on earth or for the 90 years or for the for the you know 35 years on earth doesn't matter i loaned it to you i loaned that spouse to you i loaned that man or that woman to you i loaned those kids to you did you raise them up to love me and serve me did you do what paul says in second corinthians 5 that in all that we do we want to honor christ i loaned you that job and, and you know what you did the whole time on earth you griped about it and that was for me i loaned that to you and you griped I put people in your life who don't know me so that through you, they would be here with us in heaven. And you griped about it. I put people in your life so that you would encourage them and build them up and draw them closer to me. And all you did was talk sports or politics with them. What'd you do? I gave you more money. I blessed you. And, and well, God, no, I didn't have as much money as so-and-so. I'm not here talking about so-and-so. I'm talking about you. What'd you do with the money I did give you? Were you a good steward of that? Did you invest it wisely? 
on Judgment Day, God will ask each of us Christians, understand this, this is really important. God's not going to ask you about your theology. When you get to heaven, God will not say, tell me about all the spiritual gifts that you use while on earth. God will not say, tell me about the fruit of the Spirit in your life. All those things are important. But we're almost to a point where we assume those are operating in your life. God will not say, well now, uh, okay, you're a Methodist, so here's how I'm going to judge you. Oh, you're a Baptist, so I'm going to judge you differently. No, no, no. Oh, you're Pentecostal, so I've got to judge you kind of differently because you guys are weird. No, God's not going to do that. Oh, well, you went to so-and-so church, and now, I, you know, uh, they took communion this way, and that's, you know, tell me about that. No. He's going to say, I gave you this stuff. It was on, it was mine. I loaned it to you. What'd you do? Were you reinvesting? Being productive? God will not ask you on Judgment Day about your theology. He will not ask you how many times you prayed. He will not ask you how many times you read the Bible all the way through. All those things are important. But what he will ask you, write it down, what did you do with my property that I loaned to you? The Bible says the whole earth and everything in it belongs to God alone. Therefore, everything that you have, everything that you're wearing right now, every car that you have, all these things are on loan from God. When you stand before God, I can guarantee you as a Christian, that's the one question. He may ask others, that's the one question he will ask you. What did you do with my property that I loaned to you for the duration of time you were on earth? And the simple answer is, well, I used it for myself, God. Or, God, everything you gave me, I try to do what Paul said and reinvest it, live for you, honor you. What do you do with the money God gives you? What do you do with the family God gives you? With the job, with the unsaved people in your life, with the talent, skills, and abilities. And understand this as well, the context in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, the passage that we've been talking about, Paul is talking about building up the church as Christ as the foundation. Remember this, this passage, he talks about that, that uh, I'm the, I was a, a master builder and I, Christ was the foundation. We built on it and other disciples built on it and so on. And, and everybody who builds on it, depending on what kind of building material you use on the day of judgment, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, will pass through the fire. And if you built with quality work, it'll survive. But if you built with cheap material, it won't survive. That's the question will be asked. Paul, in that context, is talking about building up the church. So my question then is, so we've talked about you individually. What are you doing right now? You and your spouse, whatever. What are you doing right now with the resources God gave you? Now, let's take it a step further. What are you doing to build up the church? And I'm not necessarily talking about grace community, although that's important. What are you doing to build up other believers? Because that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. He's saying that are you encouraging others in their faith? Are you discipling them? Are you building them up? Or do you come to church and you just, you lift your hands, you sing some songs, you hear a good message, and you go out to Bob Evans for lunch, and that's about the extent of it. Or, no, God, I am here to build others up. When I walk through those doors every Sunday or Wednesday, whenever I'm here, or small groups or whatever the case is, whether they go to my church or not, when I know they're a believer, I've got one objective, and that is to invest in them and to help build them up in Christ. That's what Paul was doing with his church in Corinth. He was investing in them. He was building them up in Christ. Are you building other disciples in Christ? Are you drawing them closer? Are you building the church? Are you building your life on the foundation of Christ alone? 
or wealth or power or success or fame. And let me say this, this is important as well, that on Judgment Day, it's not a results-oriented Judgment Day. That's important enough. Because I know there's some of you that will say, yeah, and, and God, you did give me these kids, and I did invest them, I did raise them to love you and serve you, and unfortunately right now they're not. God won't, God won't ask you about that. God won't say, well, uh, you know, I, I gave you these kids or this spouse and it didn't go well and, and it was your fault. Why? No, no, no. The results are not up to you. You cannot control how your kids live for Christ or not. You can raise them in an environment that loves Christ and lives for Him, but the choice is ultimately theirs. You will not be responsible for that choice if you've raised them in a home that puts Christ first and lives for Him. You say, well, I filed bankruptcy on this life, and so God's really going to look down on me. No, no, no. God's, not, again, not results-oriented because the results you cannot control. Well, God, you know, I tried to help build up this other believer in Christ, and unfortunately, they're not living for you now. They're back out living in sin and living in things of the world and of the culture. Again, that's not your responsibility. It's not your results. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3. I lay the foundation and other people build on it. I can't control the results. Only Christ can. So I say that to encourage some of you who, who as we say these things, boy, I'm dreading judgment day because all the things God gave me are falling apart at the seams. Well, if you're living for Christ and you're giving everything back to Him and reinvesting to Him, don't worry about the results. He'll take care of that. That's His job. That's His responsibility. That's what Paul says a little earlier in that same passage, that, that I watered the seed... But God makes it grow. In other words, I can do my part, but the results are up to Him. The day of judgment, God will base you, judge you based on how sincerely and effectively you help build the church with Christ as the foundation. And then finally, what are the results of judgment? So what are the results of the day of judgment? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21 to summarize he it's the famous passage about lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where dust and moths and thieves cannot steal and destroy and so on and he goes on at the very end to say for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you know what really he's saying is that what we treasure the most controls us and if in this life God's values or your own values if this life is it your values is it, God, my heart is with you. My heart is to honor you. God, my heart is to reflect you in all that I do, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's your values. In other words, if that's the case, then your treasure is there with him. It's not here. Is it God's values in your life or yours? And I love 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Again, he says in verse 13, or verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, so we have three positive things, gold, silver, precious stones, and then three kind of negative things, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest on the day of judgment because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, look at this, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss so that he himself will be saved, but is only through fire. You know, when you read the Bible, one of the best things to do when you read maybe complicated passages, one of the things that scholars will tell you to do is the easiest translation is the correct translation. 
So in other words, the Bible means what it says. The Bible is not a book of code that you really have to decipher and be a scholar. No, no, no. God wouldn't make it that complicated. So what Paul says here is, I take to believe quite literal. That on the day of judgment as a Christian, you'll stand before God, he'll look at you and he'll say, what did you do with the things that I gave you? Did you reinvest them or did you spend it on yourself? And whatever answer you give, whether it's true or false, hopefully it's not false because you'll be standing before God, right? And he'll know. But anyway, if, even if it's true or false, then God will say, all right, proof's in the pudding, let's see. God may not say proof's in the pudding, but you get the idea. So God will say, well, let's just see. God will take all the money that he gave you in this life, your, your spouse, your family, your friends, your career, all the talent, all the skills, all the people he put in your life, he'll put it all together and it'll pass through a fire, like an oven, like a furnace. And when it comes out on the other side, whatever is there, that's your reward. That's your inheritance. That's what you get to enjoy in heaven. That's your blessing. So again, the point and the principle, what Paul is telling and really what God is saying through Paul is that when you reinvest the things that I give you, man, you just look forward to, to judgment day. It'll be a great day for you. Because in other words, as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if I am your treasure, then on judgment day, everything that you've done in this life will be for me and you'll get to enjoy it for eternity. I mean, I get excited about that. And, and let's just be honest, okay? There are some Christians who try to downplay that. And I did it at a period of my life that, oh, I, you know, I don't know about these rewards and I don't do things for rewards. I just do it because I love Jesus. Well, yeah, that's true. But let's be honest. You like rewards, don't you? I mean, we like rewards from the time we're like five years old all the way to the day we die. We like perks. We like bonuses. We like things to be a reward for us. God gets that. And so it is in heaven. So I'm not ashamed of the rewards that I'll have in heaven. I'm not going to downplay that. Oh, well, you know, I, no, no, hey, yeah, that's right, God. You gave it to me. I gave it back to you. And now I get to enjoy it for all of eternity. You bet. Now, I'm not going to be prideful and rub it in your face. No, I wouldn't do that. But what I would say is, God, thank you. God, you gave me all these things in this life, talents and skills and family and relationships and abilities and money and all this stuff. And I gave everything back to you. And God, I lived for one reason while I was on earth, and that was to honor you. And now, for that time, I get to enjoy for all of eternity what you gave me during that time. I'm looking forward to it, to be honest with you. I'm excited about it. It's not going to be, well, God's not going to get the calculator. Well, you gave $5,000 to missions because this is theology that's out there, and it's just quite frankly false. It's incorrect. You know, this theology of, uh, well, you know, you gave $5,000 to missions or whatever, and so God will say, well, now I'm going to uh, times five, and so now here's $50,000. No, 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 that's not biblical. You don't see that in Scripture. So be careful with that when you see people saying that. But, you know, I had a pastor growing up that when every time it would time to take the offering, he would say, well, you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. Okay, well, that's not correct. <laughs> that's not what Scripture says. No, it's everything, not just money. God, I was a good steward of it. God, I invested it wisely. God, I, I used it to serve your kingdom and live for you. So in other words, there will be two types of Christians on Judgment Day. There will be the Christian who, God will ask the same question to all of us, what you do with what, what I gave you while on earth? But there's two types of Christians. One Christian will say, God, I gave it all back to you. And God will say, you bet. Let's put it through the fire. Here's the other end. Now take it and enjoy. Enjoy. Then the other type of Christian, God will say, what would you do with the stuff that I gave you while on earth? Well, you know, God, I, I used a lot of it for you. And if I would have had more money, I could give more. Well, God, you know, I had a, I had a bad home life. And so, well, God, I'm not as talented as so-and-so. I don't want to hear the excuses. Let's see what happens. 
puts it through the fire, and when it comes out, there's nothing. There's nothing. God will say to you, okay, enjoy heaven. You made it, but you have really nothing to show for it in the sense of the things that you did on earth. I hope that when I get to heaven, the great men and women of the Bible will come up to me and say, man, what's all this stuff that you got with you? That's incredible. I say, hey, that's everything God gave me on earth. I reinvested and I lived for him alone and now I get to enjoy it for eternity. I hope they ask me that question. I hope it's not, well, I'm glad you made it, but it's just you by yourself? Yeah. Oh, so when you were on earth, you lived for yourself, you were a Christian, but in other words, you built your life on wood, hay, and straw. All flammable objects is what Paul was trying to get the point. Or gold, silver, precious stones, inflammable objects. My question is, will you barely make it? Yeah, you'll, you'll make it to heaven, of course, and that's great. But will you make it barely? The skin of your teeth, as, as people would say, the clothes on your back? Because that's what Paul says. There's going to be those kind of Christians in heaven who have nothing to show for their time on earth. Nothing to show. Could you imagine? I mean, how horrific would that be? I'm here, but I got nothing to show for my time on earth. Or, this is everything that God gave me on earth. Here it is. I reinvested. And I'm looking forward to that. Will you barely make it? Or will your life in heaven have precious stones surrounded by you? And finally, talking about this judgment. There's a judgment for Christians, and then there's a judgment for all people. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. This guy named John, who is a close follower of Jesus, writes um, a letter, and this is one of the things that he gets a vision from God about the end time and the end of the world and all these things. And when he says towards the very end of the letter in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the sky and earth fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Look at this. I saw the dead, both great and small, wealthy, powerful, rich, and poor, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Now he said it twice. Every person will be judged according to their deeds. Christian and non-Christian. This is really for non-Christians. Verse 14. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the lake of fire that is the second death. Verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, again what we said, that the most simplistic translation is the most accurate. So in other words, to translate that, if your name is not in this book of life, you'll spend eternity in hell separated from God. And we'll talk about that next week, what hell really is all about. So, there's two judgments. The Bible says what, it, what, what people call the judgment seat of Christ, that's what we've talked about, and that's the judgment for Christians. What did you do with what God gave you while you were on earth? The second judgment is for non-Christians, or the great white throne judgment, which is what we see here in Revelation. Every person, kings and presidents and poor people and prisoners, doesn't matter, will stand before God. God won't ask them, what did you do with what I gave you while you were on earth? No, that's a question only for Christians. Instead, God won't even ask them a question. He'll open what the Bible says is the book of life, and he'll look for their name. 
And if your name is not in that book, eternity in hell. And, and some people say, well, uh, hell is not eternity. We'll talk about that next week. That's false. Hell, hell is most certainly for eternity. Forever and ever. Why? Your name wasn't in the book. And the question that you need to ask is, how do I get my name in that book? And here's the other thing. Some people might say, well, yeah, but how do I know that uh, I don't believe that part of the Bible? I believe the other part, like the good parts of the Bible. God loves us and everything is good. I don't believe in that part of the Bible. Boy, that's a big risk, isn't it? Isn't that a big chance that you're taking with your life, with eternity? Wouldn't you rather be safe and say that my name is in that book? I mean, the thing is, okay, if, if you're right and the Bible's not true, you still lived a good life and everything's fine. But what if you're wrong? What if the Bible is completely true as we believe that it is? What if the Bible is completely true and you've lived your life down here the way you wanted to and you get to heaven and your name is not in this book and it's eternity in hell? Two judgments, one for Christians, the judgment seat of Christ. What would you do with what God gave you while you were on earth? And the judgment of, is your name in the book of life or not? You can't say, well, I went to church Christmas and Easter, so that counts. No, it doesn't. Well, my mom and dad were Christians. That counts. No, it doesn't. Well, I said the Lord's Prayer when I was six years old at a church play. No, it doesn't. Well, I would pray sometimes over my meals. That counts. No, it doesn't. Well, I know what John 3.16 says, something about God loving the world and begotten and sons and perish. Doesn't matter. Your name is either written in the book or it is not. Doesn't matter if you know theology, have PhDs in theology. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor. Doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. All that matters is, is your name in the book? And only you can answer that. You can lie to your friends. You can lie to the pastor. You can lie to the church. You can lie to anybody. But you can't lie to God. It's either there or it's not. And Paul and the worship team are going to come back and play. I heard a uh, story recently of a man who was extremely wealthy, very, very wealthy guy. And he had homes, different houses, mansions really, uh, in the United States. And he wanted a new house, a new mansion to be built in the mountains. It's going to be beautiful. So he didn't live in the mountains, but uh, he, he lived uh, somewhere in Texas. And so what he did, he found a contractor, a builder that lived in the Rocky Mountains where he's building his home. He contacts the contractor and he says, look, I want this 20,000 square foot house or however big it was in the mountains. I want to be beautiful. Showed him the architectural drawings, the plans, the blueprints, what it was going to look like on the outside, the floor plan and so on, how beautiful it was going to be. And he said, look, I'm, I'm obviously very, very wealthy. Spare no expense. Money is no object to me. I want you to build this house and I want it to be the absolute nicest house you have ever built and I'll pay you for it I'll pay you over and above for it build it I'm not going to look over your shoulder while you're building it. I live in Texas while you're in Colorado build it and when it's all done I'm going to trust you I'm not going to look over your shoulder but when it's all done give me a call I'll fly to Colorado and I'll come and look at it so the contractor goes to work building it as he's building it he realizes you know I'm going to get paid whether I build this thing or not this guy's got so much money, it's coming out of his ears. He doesn't know what to do with all of it. So, you know what? Why do I care? I'm living in a double-wide trailer. This guy's got it made. This isn't fair. This isn't right. I work harder than this guy does in a day and, and in a week. And you know what? I'm just, who cares? He's not even here to watch me. 
So what the contractor does, instead of building with the most expensive materials that he can find, as the master told him to do, the owner told him to do, he builds it with the cheapest materials he can find. He builds it shoddy. I mean, it's, it's despicable how, how cheap he builds this house. He, 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 instead of sparing no expense, he cuts corners, I mean big corners, every chance he can, trying to save money. He's going to get paid either way. He doesn't care. He's trying to save money. He's trying to milk every dime that he can. So he doesn't care if the, if the roof falls off after a couple of years or before the floor caves in or the walls cave in. He doesn't care. The electrical wiring wasn't right. The plumbing wasn't right. It'd flood, you know, it'd catch on fire. He didn't care. So after about six months to a year, the house was built. The man from Texas, the owner, flies up. He goes to inspect the house and he doesn't even go inside. He just looks at the outside and... and Externally, it looked great. I mean, it looked exactly like the picture in the drawing. It looked exactly like the master wanted it to look. And as the master's looking at it, before he even goes inside, he turns to the, to the builder, to the contractor standing right next to him. And he says, you know what? I know that you've had a rough life. I know that you live in a double wide. I know that things really haven't gone your way. I know you work hard. I've got so many houses. I can't live in all of them, but one at one time, you know? So really what I'd like to do is I wanted this house to be built for you. And he turns and he gives the keys back to the contractor. Here you go, this is your house. Hope you enjoy. So it will be on the day of judgment with us and Christ. Here's all the things I gave you to do. All the things that I gave you to invest. I didn't control how you invested it. I give you free will. It's up to you what you do with it. Will you be able to say, I cut corners, I live for myself, I was jealous of other people, or God, I did exactly what you asked, I reinvested it, I worked hard, I gave it all to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is true, that changes our life, that shapes and molds us. We pray today, Holy Spirit, that your word would be planted firmly in our life. And as Psalm 1 says, like a tree planted by the water we will not be moved father I pray for every believer or Christian in the room the Lord we understand with certainty and the reality and quite clearly that we will stand before you in judgment no matter who we are or what we've done we won't be able to blame other people we won't be able to blame our situation we understand Lord today that you're gonna ask us one question, maybe more, but one question for sure. What did you do with the resources I gave you while you were on earth? And only we can answer that accurately. And Father, I pray as the pastor, as the shepherd of this body, Lord, that every person in this place would, would as their works, pass through that fire. It wouldn't be elements that would be burned up and consumed, but gold and silver and precious stones. That, Father, everything that you gave every person in this room may reinvest back into your kingdom because they understand the principle that they don't own it to begin with. It's all on loan from you. We're merely renting. Help us to be good stewards. And, Father, for anyone that their name is not written in that book, the book of life, I pray that today, right now, they'd make that decision. They wouldn't wait. They wouldn't hesitate. And if that's you right now, no one's looking. If that's you, if you want to raise your hand, maybe you want to fill out the connection card in front of you, talk to me right after service. Maybe you want to come up right now. I'm begging you, don't leave without making a decision.
to make your name in that book. If it's in there, you certainly won't regret it. But if it's not, you'll have all of eternity in misery to reflect on this opportunity that you're passing by right now. I'm begging you. Make sure that you know that you know. It doesn't matter what other people think because he won't be judging others. He'll be judging you. He won't be looking for their name, but he'll look for your name. Make that decision right now that you know that you know my name's there. If you do that right now as I pray, you're simply saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I give my entire life to you. I want to do what that guy Paul talked about in that letter of 1 Corinthians, to live my entire life for you. I'm tired of trying to be the judge and jury of my own life because I've made a wreck of it. I'm ready to let you be the king of my life. Father, I thank you for those that may be making that decision right now that their name is being written in that book. I thank you, Lord, for all the believers that are here. Lord, that everything that we do, we realize is from you. That, Father, we would reinvest what you've given to us. And, Lord, that there would be no person in this room that would dread Judgment Day standing before you. But we would eagerly look forward to it as Paul was. We can't wait because we understand we've given everything back to you. Father, we love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. We give this day to you. Now, Father, I thank you for every person that is here. May you bless them. May you bless their homes and their families. Lord, that they would live for you and honor you and serve you and love you. Keep you at the center of their life. That your presence would dwell in their homes and their families and relationships. Father, may you bless us as a body of believers to be bold, to stand up and stand out for you in the public place, to not be ashamed that we follow and live for you. Give us your wisdom and discernment. Help us to be a biblically healthy, fruit-producing church that changes lives in our community. Father, help us to have a greater hunger for your presence in our life, greater passion, Lord, to live by the truth of your word, and Father, greater hunger and passion to reach the lost around us that you've placed in our life. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give this day to you. We're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.